0: Alright, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we've got Chris Cranock joining me again. He hasn't been on the show in a little while, but it's always fun to have Chris on. We're going to be talking about one of the year's strangest movies, Annette. If you don't know about it, it's a very, very weird musical uh, with music from Sparks, the band that has been around for many, many years, but has gained a lot of notoriety this year, I believe, from the Edgar Wright-produced and directed documentary The Sparks Brothers that came out earlier this year, and part of that documentary was the story about how they wanted to make a movie, and here we are. Now they have a movie, with the help of director Leos Kerricks, and uh, if you know his movies other movies and if you know the sparks music you know it's going to be strange and it sure delivers on that but we have a lot of other uh interesting angles to come at this one from from the musical angle from the hollywood adjacent story that it's telling and from the performances and everything else going on in this movie lots to talk about That is coming up here in a second. Before we get to the conversation, though, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. We are, of course, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Pocket Cast, all the major podcast apps. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen. And you can rate and review us if you like what we do here on the show over on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Good Pods. And we really appreciate your ratings and your reviews. They help get the show you know up those charts and get more people listening and as it stands a lot of new people have been listening in the past few weeks and past couple of months and i really appreciate all the new listeners out there and i just want to keep making the show for you guys and keep making it better and uh getting to new listeners You could also follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And one more thing I just wanted to mention briefly before we get into the episode. Uh, This one's going up Friday, September 10th. And next weekend is my wedding that was supposed to happen last year. We did end up doing the whole just quick elopement thing on the date during COVID that was supposed to originally be our wedding date last year in 2020, but uh, the actual wedding wedding that we've now postponed twice is happening next weekend. And so with that being said, I don't know yet if we'll have an episode next week. If I happen to have time to squeeze one in, there'll be a new episode next week as usual. If not, hey, you know what? I've been doing this show for four years now, haven't missed a week I think you guys will uh, hang in there for a week while I, uh, you know, go get married and not be so stressed that I, uh, you know, lock myself in a closet for like a week after or a month or a year. But uh, anyway, yeah, uh, the wedding's coming up and we're really excited, but uh, it might be a little too busy for an episode. We'll see what happens. But if we miss next week, we'll be back with another one the following week. So let's get to talking about Annette. (laughs) All right, Chris Cranach is back with us today, and we're going to do our best at uh, (laughs) breaking down this movie, Annette. Chris, how's it going?
1: It's going very well. Good to be back. It's been a minute.
0: It has been, yeah. So I'm
1: excited to be back, and I'm excited to be talking about this movie because it is officially September, and it's my favorite movie of the year so far.
0: It's been a weird year for movies, man. I, you know, I, I keep saying I really hope by the end of the year, you know, we just recently did our top ten list at the midway point mm-hmm. episode, and I really hope Mortal Kombat isn't still on my top ten <laughs> list by the end of the year.
1: Yeah, I have to admit, I mean, I haven't seen that many movies actually this year, mm-hmm. so it's my favorite amongst a short list. Yeah, but uh, it has been a weird movie. Or, pardon me, weird year. Excuse me, four yes. movies. It, yeah. And it's a weird movie.
0: It is. It's a weird movie and a weird movie year. But, uh, you know, before we do get into some puzzle pieces here, mm-hmm. I, I do want to ask you, were you, like, really looking forward to this movie? I I, I mean, I know you, you like uh, Leo Skarex's previous film.
1: Yeah, Holy Motors. Yeah. Big fan, big fan. And, well, so this guy is a really interesting film director. So he doesn't make that many movies. Yeah. And he was kind of hailed as this French prodigy, you know, earlier in his career. And, you know, legend grew early around him. And he suffered a lot of personal tragedy, which Holy Motors and Net are a direct kind of response to some of that personal tragedy. So he's just a fascinating guy. Mm. And I really connected with Holy Motors, which is interesting because it's such a bizarre movie. You know, yeah, it's so strange. And yet there's this weird spell that it casts that it's like, it's you must watch it. Yeah. And so ever since then, yeah, I, I was really looking forward to it. Uh, It was kind of, it kind of snuck up and bit me. I've been really focused on a lot of my own projects. And when that happens, I'm not as up to date with everything that's happening in the movie world as I typically am. Yeah. Because I'm just so swamped, you know? And then, um, so I heard about this film and I heard about Sparks being a part of it. Right, right. And I have to make, and I have to be honest, I only knew Sparks very superficially. I knew their Kimono uh, Kimono album, Mm -hmm. which was like their big kind of breakthrough album. I think it was the 70s or early 80s when they were kind of thought of as just like an experimental kind of pop band. Right. And so I was like, oh, wow, that weird band from like the 70s? You know, they're involved in this new Leo's Carrick's movie? Like, what is (laughs) going on? So I was extremely excited as soon as I found out who was involved. And then after I've seen the movie, I'm like a now Sparks number one fan. You you just learn that they've had a 50 year career. Yeah, and it's all it's so different and it's so diverse and so brilliant. And so for two weeks, I've just been binging Sparks.
0: No wait, so did you watch the documentary then? The, no, that, like, right? Okay, all that's right. That's on my list. That that's also a, another really fun movie of this weird year. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that that I got to see that in the theaters a couple months back, and um, that's what that was really my introduction to Sparks. Mm-hmm. Like, and it, you know this episode we're gonna end up talking about sparks a lot they are central to everything with this movie from writing it yeah. the music it's really their movie in a yeah, way yeah it is and and that was that's one of the fun things about this movie even if i didn't love it as much as you did i i did like it quite a bit and it, there, there's a lot in it that i love but part of what makes it special is after having seen that documentary and knowing how much they've always wanted to make a movie and it's like yeah here it is their big crazy movie you yeah, know and they, they got, got they did it yeah. good for them you know
1: yeah. yeah no i agree and it's funny because anyone that i you know am it's one of those i'm a person who believes that you shouldn't have to know the backstory of the director or the backstory of the sure. writer or the band in this instance to like like the film i think the movie stands on its own two feet yeah and it really feels like a Carrick's movie in mm-hmm. my it has a lot of similarities in style and and atmosphere to holy motor's uh, but at the same time it feels so genuinely like a sparks brainchild and this is kind of like i said binge learning about them it was amazing they did a radio but this is this was a personal i was like okay these, this is a band for me when i found out that they did a swedish radio play called the seduction of igmar bergman mm-hmm. and i was like okay we're gonna be friends me and this band <laughs> uh but no yeah they had that they have a big thing with tim burton for years attached to a movie that never got made right. this big long thing and so they somehow were able to get their movie and it's still such a pure Leos Carrick's movie. So it's really amazing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll get to a lot of the other points about what makes this movie what it is along the way. What do you have for your first puzzle piece here?
1: All right, so I'm going to I'm going to avoid a certain puzzle piece because I think it might be one of your puzzle pieces. So we'll talk about it later. But so I will open with a Guy Madden movie called The Saddest Music in the World. Okay. Okay. Now, have you ever seen any Guy Madden? I don't believe so. Okay. You're missing out. Okay. okay. Guy Madden is the strangest, most wonderful Canadian filmmaker. Okay. the One of the great ways into Guy Madden, for you or anyone listening that doesn't know about Guy Madden, is uh, a movie called My Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. And it's a semi-documentary, I guess that's a, one way to describe it, but it's this kind of collage of childhood memories about his life growing up in, in Winnipeg, greatly exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to get into him, that's the way to start. But the saddest music in the world is very much in the tradition of, like all of Guy Madden's films, uh, old, timey, 1920s, silent, and musical films. Sure. So music is like one of the central pieces of this film. And one of the reasons why it's a puzzle piece is that it's so bizarre. It's Mm -hmm. so artistic. It's so unabashedly creative, which is, I think, a rarity. You know, it's, I know sometimes it's interpreted as pretentious and it kind of gets people turned off right away when a movie kind of presents itself in this kind of overtly artistic way. Yeah. But sometimes people pull it off. Like there's no right or wrong way to do it. There's sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. It's always a risk. For me, Annette really works, and the saddest music in the world, and all of Guy Madden's films are like, hey, I'm a crazy artist, like, and you just either have to go along for the ride, and so that's also something those two films have in common, is Mm. like, you're either you buy the ticket, you take the ride, or you're gonna really not enjoy yourself. You have to be in sympathy with the films to to let them in.
0: And it it is interesting, given you know, the moment we're in right now, I mean, this did get a small theatrical run, but it is, you know, the Amazon Prime original of the week. It's like right on the front page. Yeah. There's Adam Driver. Everyone knows him, yeah, like you Star know? Yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's like, I can only imagine what people think when they load this thing I up. Know,
1: I know, I love it. I really love that people <laughs> are losing their minds. Well, the thing is, is that, I mean, you know, this is very unusual for, for the filmmaker for Leo's Car is that it had a $15.5 million budget mm-hmm. and it made zero dollars. It yeah, made very I'm little sure. money. It's a big bomb. Uh, which that's the thing is people put money into these films not to make money. Yeah. This is one of the great that art films still exists somehow, which is such a weird beast because the it, to make a film is such a risk on a financial level that it's amazing people still do it for the love and the passion and for the weirdness and for the art of it. So yeah. that's one of the other reasons why I love Annette is that's like how films like this keep getting made is such a blessing that we get to experience them just based on that element alone. it's yeah. like they get financed, you know, um. But yeah, I and mean, I love the surprise element. Is the everyone's like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah, absolutely. people hate musicals.
0: They yeah, yeah. I I guess they have their own audience. But even the audience that likes musicals, they don't like it. Yeah, they they <laughs> they want they want that. Just you know, they're they're probably looking forward to West Side Story or something right, later yeah. this year. You know, they don't they don't necessarily want things that go outside the mold no. at all.
1: They love Jersey Boys. Sure. You know?
0: Yeah, exactly. God, that movie's terrible. <laughs> well, speaking of musicals, uh, <laughs> I'm going to start off with 1975's Tommy nice. um, from Ken Russell and, of course, The Who. Another over-the-top, just bizarre movie musical from an over-the-top band, The Who, and in that an case. And
1: over-the-top director. Over-the-top
0: director, absolutely, with a weird plot, just... Totally bombastic songs, crazy visuals, just throwing it all together. I've actually only seen Tommy once, and it was at a midnight screening, just oh, wow. kind of stoned out of my <laughs> mind. And so, that's the way to see it. That is the way to see it, and that's the way I wish I had seen this movie. Yeah. Um, I think I would have liked it more that way. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think they definitely come from the same place of like a band with just big music and big ideas for what a musical could be set to that band's music.
1: Yeah. I think that's actually a really great puzzle piece. It's not on my list. But it should have been. I always I always like to retroactively add your puzzle pieces nice. to my list because that's a damn good one. Feel free. But the thing is is you know what's funny, i so I I once a year I get obsessed with a movie and so I I try to show everybody that I, that I know the movie because mm. it's usually a film that's like lesser seen or something like like a couple of years ago my crusade was the last black man in San Francisco so sure. like every person I met I was like go watch this movie yeah so that that's going on with Annette right now and w- what's weird though is that Annette is on Prime unlike my previous films that I'm trying to get everyone to go see so I've ended up showing people multiple times in like one week so I've watched Annette four times in one week just because I wanted to show people and I ended up watching it with them and I kept but what amazed me is that I got into it each time I didn't look Mm. at my phone or whatever I watched it all the way through four times and that's a pretty amazing feat even for someone like me yeah who has a high tolerance and stuff but what I noticed is that the first viewing you can't help but notice how weird it is Mm. but when you know that it's weird and you know what to expect you can get into the story. And the reason why I bring this up now in in response to Tommy is Uh that I haven't seen Tommy in a hot minute, but basically it's nuts. And the last time I saw it, I was like, man, this is still nuts. Like I I cannot penetrate how crazy this is. But I started to become really emotionally affected and and involved in Annette. Like I liked it the first time and Mm. I ended up loving it in in the subsequent viewings. Okay. Because there's actually a really beautiful and funny satirical story in there and that's it's a beautiful tragedy in a lot of ways it it, it accomplishes a lot because it's a satire it's a tragedy it's very Shakespearean um and once you kind of know that the weirdness is going to be there, I, I think it has a very powerful story, unlike Tommy. It's one of the things where it diverges, Right, is that I can't really get into Tommy on any other level besides the fact I'm enjoying them going
0: nuts. Tommy is just the craziness and yeah. the weirdness. Maybe, I mean
1: I'm sure there's people that would disagree with that, that like love Tommy and will explain to me why it's a great story, but or a great film in other ways. But I just love how batshit crazy Tommy is.
0: And there's probably people on the other end of the spectrum that would tell you that, no, there's nothing in there's the nothing there. other than yeah. weirdness. Exactly, <laughs> so, sure. Yeah.
1: So, and again, as, as everything, every great piece, every great movie, you know, will will connect, even not so great movies, will connect with people for different reasons. So I found a really beautiful story, and even a very coherent story. Mm. You know, like, the the, uh, the the premise and the plot of Annette is very clear. Yeah. You know, it's very simple in a lot of ways. Like I said, Shakespearean in a lot of ways. It's a great tragedy. But it's just so weird that you think it's weirder than it is. Right. I think it actually throws a little red herring into like, oh, this is like a crazy art movie. but right. Really not, in my opinion.
0: What do you got for your next piece?
1: Uh, so I'm going to do a movie called um, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which is a Jacques Demi, great French film. It's a musical. Now, what's unique about this musical and where it shares a lot with Annette is that it's a conversational musical. In um, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which is a great, great film, uh, just in, in its own right, you should check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's, every line is is sung, even like almost conversational dialogue. Mm -hmm. and that's one of my favorite parts of annette which i also think is one of the more humorous elements yeah is sometimes let us talk to each other with like a tune sure and i think it's very effective and very funny and I also have to admit, maybe I'm just like a weird fanboy with this movie. But every day I've had a different Annette song stuck in my head. And I've been mm-hmm. listening to the soundtrack even. Like, I think I've gone overboard. I'm really a fan of this, of this there's, there's a <laughs>
0: lot of songs on there. And they're, they're very different from song the to Song, too. Oh, yeah, they are, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Sparks in in and of itself as a band is extremely diverse. Yeah. That was something I've been learning recently that every decade or so they're reinventing themselves and how they're staying really relevant and cultivating yeah. kind of a cult status amongst musician, you know, musicians and fans. And yeah, so I'd say that this great little French movie, which Jacques Demy is also a big influence, I think, on Leo's characters in general, just a part of kind of his ethos, you know, part of when you grow up in France, I imagine he's one of the the film giants. Sure. He was married to Agnes Varda. They were a famous filmmaking couple. Mm -hmm. Um, Demy made a lot of brilliant films, actually a fantastic box set collection from Criterion. If you want to like really get into them quickly, they put, I think, five or six of his greatest films and uh, The Umbrellas of uh, Cherbourg is is, is nice. there. So yeah, so great film, very similar in a lot of ways. Also radically different, not quite as dark and brooding as Annette. Sure. So I definitely see there's a lineage.
0: All right. Well, uh, speaking of dark, uh, I am going to go to one that when I first heard about Annette, people said this is going to be this year's Vox Lux. And Whoa. I'm going to use that as a puzzle piece okay. here. So I, I do feel, you know, it's obviously a very different movie, but they're both like a very, you know, we, we keep using the word weird and strange and all that, but it is. But uh, weird and strange look at celebrity and the weirdness that kind of comes along with that. Mm-hmm. And with people's obsessions with these people and their issues and their, their problems that we normally, we only get in kind of the tabloid sense where everything mm-hmm. is kind of... Uh, cleaned up to tell a story whereas here we're getting all these just bits and pieces and starts and stops of these characters and their lives together Mm. and then eventually coming down to uh you know of course their baby which is the title character annette which then becomes uh in in the second part of the film becomes like the real uh narrative drive is is its gifts and all that stuff and of course the world wants that because the world's you know obsessed with with celebrities and their children and Mm -hmm. that seems to be like a big huge thing in today's culture and uh vox lux was another movie that i feel like kind of explored that in another very kind of off-putting way you know i guess you could say oh, that film is disturbing yeah very yeah. much and, so and hilarious yeah and, and hilarious really... and in, in that darkness it's so funny
1: yeah i mean one of my favorite performances of that year was jude law oh, I mean, that god, film. He's so oh good. my god that yeah. film was so good that yeah. film's great it was like that was like one that was one of those like uh crusade films where i was like must see vox Lux. yeah because another thing they have in common is they made no money that, that's true. Yeah, Vox yeah. Lux I think was like on the bottom of, you know, the the box office that year. It was really really poorly received in terms of audience turnout. It was pretty well received in terms of criticism. People, sure. You know the critics liked it. Uh but yeah, it haunted me that film. Oh yeah. In, in the and so uh I agree. Was, w- that was a great film and I could see it having a lot of parallels particularly with like a deeper look inside the kind of the the bizarre obsession with celebrity. Mhm. And how I think it even affects the celebrities themselves. Yeah. You yeah. I mean, that's not like it's just us and them. It's like we're so obsessed that I think that war, that kind of warps their worldview. Yeah. To a certain extent. And
0: it it also warps uh, the art that they make and oh, the yeah. way the way that they perform and the, their relationship back, like mm-hmm. the way they throw it back at the audience, which uh, I think will come up in future pieces as well. But uh, what do you got for your next piece? So I'm gonna go ahead and jump in now. I'm
1: surprised this wasn't like your first one. Okay. But I'm gonna say being John Malkovich. Okay. okay. For sure. <laughs> uh this uh, i imagine it's on there and i'll just tack on another one which is anomaliza mm-hmm. so obviously being john malkovich directed by spike jones but written by charlie kaufman charlie kaufman co-directed Anomalisa and wrote the screenplay which was also a stage play or a stage reading mm-hmm. and so i feel like the puppet which is the annette child if you haven't seen it, you should usually watch the film before you listen to this podcast. But just in case, the baby Annette is actually a puppet. It's yes. in it's real in the world of the movie. Yes. it's a real child in the in the logic of the film, but it's portrayed by a puppet. Yeah, now. Puppetry is something that I think really exists in today's modern consciousness because of Charlie Kaufman. It seems that way. It's
0: like almost every project of his has something with that. He
1: likes puppetry. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about this, this is another one of those weird things that you look at the film, you're like, oh boy, we got a baby puppet. You're like, here's a weird curveball. I'm going to turn off. But but again, I think if you're open-minded and if you like thinking on a more thematic level, if it appeals to you, then the puppet is such a brilliant kind of literal way to talk about how these parent that celebrity parents and you know specifically but parents in general can use their offspring as a puppet kind mm-hmm. of a avatar for themselves. Yeah. That's something that I grew up hearing is that I represent my parents and I always that really stuck in my craw cuz I was like you live your own life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why am what am I like why am I your spokesman? Yeah, why do I have know? to do this? And I understand this idea that okay well that's how they raised me so people if I had say I was acting up or doing something not not great, it reflects poorly on them. But I could never muster up just giving even the slightest shit if that they looked bad because mm-hmm. I did something that I believed in. If you don't like it, you know, that's you're in charge of your existence. So God bless. Good luck sure. with that. And so I think that there's a that's a powerful idea that the puppet concept crystallizes very beautifully. And I think it these movies with a Charlie Kaufman vibe and even like kind of the brooding atmosphere of even like uh, I'm thinking of ending things. I think there's even, I'm throwing out all kinds of puzzle pieces, but they're coming to me, you know, as we, as I speak, but there's a, this kind of dark, but strangely funny quality. And I think the puppet element visually and thematically is really well, like the red carpet was rolled out by Kaufman.
0: Yeah. I I agree with you completely. And, Surprisingly it was not on my list being John Malkovich or Anomalisa, but Adaptation was on my go, list. Yeah. I I love this movie. And one of the things I love so much about it is the fact that the movie itself adaptation is slowly becoming the thing that Charlie Kaufman, the character doesn't want it to become. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that makes adaptation so great. And, uh, it's starting to become an action movie with, with characters that grow and change all the things that Charlie Kaufman, the character doesn't want
1: love and everything.
0: Absolutely. And I feel like there are levels within, um, Annette where the characters, their stage presences mm-hmm. are starting to kind of bleed into their real life in a way and and so it 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 becomes a matter of what is real and what isn't real between what you're seeing in their shows we spend many many like probably like 20 to 30 minutes I'm guessing of the two-hour runtime just with Adam Driver on stage doing his show yeah. or uh, Marion Cotillard doing her show mm-hmm. and you start to like kind of lose the line of what what is their life and what is their shows and what what is real within those shows very, and very true and so I just feel like that that whole blending of, of art and real life within these characters and uh the actors playing them kind of reminds me a little bit of what what Charlie Kaufman's doing there. I could
1: see that the, there's a meta quality they're yeah not necessarily meta in the sense that they're winking at us the audience right
0: not like- real life meta but For the world of the movie. For the world of the
1: movie, there's a meta element. I think it's a powerful statement because, I mean, that's the thing is, especially when these people really value themselves, especially Kotiar in the film, she talks about how people love her and she's saving them and there's kind of this, like, messiah element. She's always eating an apple, very Eve-like, you know, there's all these visual cues. But the idea being that she really gets her Validation in her identity from her character that she plays, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, that's what that's how people see her, and that's how she values herself. So, is there really a line? Yeah, you know, if she actually gets the confidence and the happiness, and that's that's those are relative terms. I'm sure that they have their own rotten core in this context, (laughs) but uh, they, you know, that's how she defines herself, and it's by a fictitious character, a role she plays in the public's eye. So, really, is there a difference between these two worlds? And maybe that's part of the thing the film is talking about.
0: I I don't like obviously get everything within this movie yet uh-huh. i've only seen it the one time so far uh similarly i don't get everything in holy motors which i've only seen once so oh, far yeah but i do feel like and i don't know if it was going to be on your list or not but i feel like that kind of plays in as well and holy same, motors yeah oh without a doubt yeah and it is, is on
1: my list it's right here is it okay
0: <laughs> perfect then you'll be able to talk on it some more because yeah i did think that it belongs on the list because in the same way that we're talking here with uh with adaptation i feel like some of those same things about the actor and uh, their, their role within the work and, mm-hmm. uh, and all that.
1: Oh, it's a very similar theme. You know, the thing is when I look at Annette and I think of it as a Sparks project, there really couldn't be a more perfect director to take on this story because sure. I think it, it, it's obviously something that preoccupies Leo Carax's mind uh, is the, the relationship between the actor and the role and the role they play in the world that it inhabits. Yeah. And like, where's the line between reality and, and you know, in fiction? Yeah. Um. I think it's an interesting and, and subversive topic to talk about. I think in Holy Motors, it's such an idea, it's such a film based on concepts, it's such a conceptual film that is impenetrable in a way in terms of trying to distill it down to a point that it's mm-hmm. making, which is one of the reasons that I'm so uh, kind of enthralled by it and it feels so alive, you know? Yeah and i mean it's crazy because it's it's voted this number 16 i believe on the on the 100 greatest films of the 21st century so far as wow, voted by okay. the bbc and that was from 2016 I, they haven't done they haven't done like a modern upgrade yet but it was it was voted number 16 on the list hmm. and i could see why because it, people interpret it on the surface level that it's about cinema, but it's about so much more than that in the sense that, you know, we all play roles to a certain extent. Sure. Not to sound overly reductive, we all wear masks. Okay. You know, that, whole, <laughs> that, that kind of basic, you know, simplistic, you know, freshman year psychology interpretation. But, I mean, really, it is like that in a, in a way, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I think, to me, Annette is almost a companion piece to Holy Motors. Sure, yeah. It's much more linear, it's much more cogent, it has a more of, and I, the, well, I keep mentioning the word uh, Shakespearean, and that's actually comes back from the Sparks music themselves. Their topics and their writing has always referenced Shakespeare and mm-hmm. Shakespearean female characters. So that's, again, as I've kind of learned about them, I see this pattern emerging and how it's influenced uh, Annette. And the other thing is, in about Carrex's Car- Car- life, is that, unfortunately, a sad thing to mention is that his partner, I believe it was his wife, uh, they were married, I believe, uh, killed herself. Mm. and left him with a young daughter. And in the beginning of Annette, the guy behind the, in the sound booth is the director smoking a cigarette. May we start? And the young girl that's with him is his daughter okay. that he's been raising independently. And I think there's a very autobiographical kernel in Annette, and very much so in Holy Motors. It's almost like a confession in a sense that you know his 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 bleeding into the into his fiction that he basically survives in. You know, he, mm. he kind of survives this tragedy through his work, yeah. which is a common thing for artists. But anyway, so this idea of using your daughter as a way to define yourself yeah. is something that he personally was going through that I think is mirrored beautifully in the film so.
0: Yeah, in retrospect, I shouldn't be surprised that so many Charlie Kaufman movies made their way into this conversation. It seems to be, like, a very similar, uh, you know, kind of point of view here.
1: Well, I think Charlie Kaufman is the closest thing we have to, like, an artsy-fartsy European director. Yeah. You know, I think he very strangely, and not, I mean, I don't want to call him mainstream, because there's, his fan base is definitely cult-like, you know, in, in that these, we're diehards, you know. But he still gets American distribution, and it's really hard for him to do so. Yeah. But, you know he's kind of in the public consciousness on the American side to where I feel like if you ask any moviegoer about Leo Scarex they wouldn't know anything. Yeah, you know, they typically wouldn't know sure. who he is. So Charlie Kaufman has strangely made it into a mainstream mindset, but he's our he's our closest thing. Yeah. You know he really does delve into the more abstract and and he does it very abstractly and bizarrely and that's kind of unique for the American cinema landscape. Definitely. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll go on to another puzzle piece here. And uh, I, I'm going to focus in for a minute on uh, Adam Driver's character, Henry. Uh, McHenry. who, Yeah, Henry <laughs> McHenry, who, who who is a stand up comic. And I had three uh, stand up comics to kind of combine to get uh, his particular persona. Okay. Um, so we get a little bit of the uh, kind of stream of conscious, like ramblingness of like a Stephen Wright or a Brother Theodore. Mm hmm. And then mixing that with someone like a Bo Burnham who is having a moment this year with his new special inside, yeah. which is one of the best things to come out this year. Uh, but he's somebody who, and, th- and this kind of goes back to some of the things we've been saying through some of these other puzzle pieces, just loves to mess with that line mm-hmm. between what what the art is and what the artist is saying and uh, whether or not they're being truthful with, with that particular art. And... there's a certain kind of um, like a faux contempt for the audience, Mm -hmm. which is maybe part of the act, maybe not, but you're never really going to be let in on whether or not that is. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's something that I think has made Bo Burnham a very uh, special voice when it comes to stand-up. I mean, stand-up, there's not not a lot exciting lately, the last few years. I I feel like he's like the the one that's kind of making the most noise in in the world of stand-up. And I think part of that is that, you know that kind of you know what's original but like it's at least different in that you're not quite sure the point of view of this person but it feels right as you're listening to him talk and he
1: incorporates musical elements and Mm -hmm. you know characters and all kinds of different things so yeah there's a lot i think that's an interesting tidbit yeah you know i i feel like the the shock comic element to annette it was an interesting choice Mm -hmm. because it I don't know if there is an a medium where the artist is more autobiographical, right? And right. where it's so that's the thing is art in general has been autobiographical since the beginning of time. I mean, the, some of the most famous things we ever look at are self-portraiture, and we tend to think that there's some type of difference between Van Gogh painting himself or an artist writing himself into a film, so literally like Charlie Kaufman did, or a version of him anyway, or even doing things as Fellini esque and being you know very very personal some of his stuff was almost confessional mm-hmm. Fellini and the thing is is that um, the I think the stand up is an interesting avatar to explore that because kind of going back to these meta elements we've mentioned it's like that's the ultimate meta character yeah you know I don't know if George Carlin believed every single thing he ever said but right. we, he never said it as a character he said it as George Carlin sure so we assume that it's him but it yeah. may not be actual ideas that he truly holds maybe he's playing a, another a persona so yeah That line is so blurred in comedy, so I think that that's an interesting choice. Uh, It feels weird, and you're like, oh my god, are they they doing a stand-up character? Like, how weird does this feel in this movie? But then when you think about how it kind of connects, I think it's clever.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I can definitely see, like, a Bo Burnham inside being... I don't know if it was something that was on their mind, but I think it just might have been definitely a... uh, might have been a definitely. That's an interesting. It might have been definitely. A definitely. Maybe my favorite romance comedy. There you um, go. Yeah. It was definitely maybe. Uh, just lucky that they kind of worked together. Sure. That's absolutely. That's my other puzzle piece. Definitely maybe.
0: Nice. That's a good one. <laughs> let's let's get into that. Yeah. Uh All right. Do you have uh, any more pieces? I have many many pieces. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let, let's so, go. So
1: I want to mention a woman as a woman. Okay. Uh, which is um, a Jean-Luc Goddard film. Uh, I, This is also a musical. This was his uh, follow-up to his iconic Breathless, which put him on the map and invented the French New Wave and all that stuff. Um, But A Woman is a Woman is a musical film. And I feel like when, if you look, I mean, Jean-Luc Godard is one of the the most infamous film careers of all time. He's one of those filmmakers and artists that I even have a hard time connecting to on a real emotional, personal level. Mm -hmm. I admire him. More than I actually like watching his films sometimes sure um I can't you can't deny the influence and the fingerprint he's left on cinema and I mention him specifically in this film, yes, it's a musical which is connected, but also because Carrick has I mean his career is almost as a result, direct result of the experimentation and the paths that Goddard ha- has, has paved. Yeah. You
0: know, I, I watched a uh, weekend for the first time earlier oh, this year and that, and, and Holy film. Motors are like, I think you could they go together so well. So well, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I see that there's a very tight connection and I think there's even a musical number in Holy Motors. And so I think that this freedom to explore um, the musical, communication you know the the musicals because typically we think of musicals as like fun family sing-alongs mm. yeah you know i mean even with something like sound of music with nazis it's like fun <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah so but to be able to do serious art and serious um comment you know commentary and, and serious vulnerability through music is something that music itself as a medium has has excelled in but as cinema i think it's been Fairly limited, yeah, in how much is you know the art of musicals, yeah, and so I think a woman as a woman is an old kind of like a fossil that you know, to uh, that we are carbon dating and we get we look at under the microscope and we're going to see a net somewhere in the DNA.
0: Sure, sure. Well, uh, I only have one other piece, and it's just a little one, but uh, just back to back to Baby Annette, Robot Baby Annette, <laughs> uh, it remind me a little bit of the uh, the Baby in Eraserhead. Um, oh, yeah. You know, so I just figured I'd throw that one in there. And especially because uh, there was uh, a review on Letterboxd, I wish I wrote down who wrote it, but... Uh, they said it was basically like if La La Land was directed by David Lynch, so I thought that was a good uh, comparison. That's great. Uh, yeah. yeah, I could
1: definitely see that. And I'll just throw in my David Lynch really quick. I'd say I'm a Holland Drive okay. for its dream, dreamy atmosphere, its Hollywood satire.
0: Mm-hmm. I, see
1: there being, I, you know, I feel like if you have watched Annette once and you weren't particularly fond of it, that mm-hmm. could be for many reasons but I think someone that's maybe even connected into the art movie world could just be like, oh, this feels like David Lynch, or this feels like this, or this feels like that. Sure. And I think you can make those kind of snap judgments about it. I'm of a different opinion, obviously. Obviously, I've connected with this movie. But I think that Carx has really a singular atmosphere that he's able to create. And mm-hmm. I think if you go back, if you haven't seen Holy Motors, maybe give that a try. I'd say give Annette another try, and you can really start seeing his uniqueness. Yeah. There, are, He definitely shares... Elements with like a Lynchian vibe, yeah. But I really think it's his own. I mean, Lynch has its own, his own vibe that's yeah. very singular and, and special. And I think the, I think Carax has that, has his own feeling too. Yeah. So Mahal and Drive though for as my puzzle piece.
0: Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh I'm out of pieces. Do you want to uh yeah, roll rap- out a few more I'll rapid fire. Okay. We
1: won't get in and maybe the ones that you've seen we can talk about a little bit more. Sure. So uh a really fast one that is I mean kind of superficially connected is I wanted to mention repo, the genetic opera. Okay. Because if it's musical elements obviously, but also it's strong visual presence. Like I think that they're both such brilliant visual films, which mm-hmm. is something that Car brings to the film that, that, that sparks handles in terms of the music. Like what I, what's amazing to me about this film, Annette, is that you can listen to the soundtrack with no movie mm-hmm. and you can turn the sound off and watch the movie with no music. Yeah. And I think that they would be successful Independently of each other Yeah. Usually I'm a big believer that every piece Of a film puzzle has to be working together For the greater success of a sure. story That they yeah. should be cohesive and be working with each other But every now and again you have a unique film Where you have two Artists, you know, Sparks as a unit Brothers, the two brothers as the band And you have someone like Leos And they are both so strong In their creative vision That they can almost be Independent of one another while supporting each other yeah, so that's another reason why I wanted to mention repos, is just because that's such a strong visual film.
0: Yeah, and I I agree. I mean, I think that you know, weird. Sure, we we can call right. all of these movies that that uh, that Carx makes weird, but I think visual, like in interesting visuals, is like the number one takeaway I get from yeah. from what he does.
1: Well, like, what does weird mean? It's right. like you know, is it is it bad that it's does weird mean bad? No, you know it know shouldn't I mean, mean it that. Shouldn't. You know, weird. The thing is, I mean. I don't know if I give, I am I might be too accepting of weird films just because I'm hungry for different things. Mm. So I, I tend to be a little forgiving if it's not, if it's weird and different, and even if it's not particularly good, I usually will be a cheerleader for it, unless it's insufferable, unless right. like, I feel assaulted <laughs> sure. by the filmmaker or whatever. I have. I get on my high horse about all kinds of things. You may have heard me say things once or twice on this program. It's, it's probably, it yes. may have happened. Yeah. Um, But I try to be a cheerleader for weird things, even if they're imperfect. You know, I love when films take risks and sometimes they don't always pay off. Yeah. And, like, everything I've heard is, oh, it's weird. Mm. I'm like, yeah, and? and?" Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, that's not a bad thing.
0: What's your second word you're going to use for this film? Yeah, I mean, (laughs)
1: incredible?
0: I mean, (laughs) I want to
1: convince you. I think, because when I saw it, I was like, oh, David would love this film. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was surprised that you were, you know, that you liked it but didn't love it. I thought for sure you'd be like, "Oh, it's great."
0: Yeah, and that doesn't that seems to be a pretty rare take on this. This is definitely a love it or hate it movie. And I think it just requires a second viewing, yeah. honestly. And I'll get to that eventually. Yeah, for
1: sure, it's worth it. Yeah. And it's very it's a riveting story. Again, yeah. I think as it has that solid Shakespearean backbone. Which is one of my other puzzle pieces. Again, I've already kind of said it, so we won't dwell on it. But Romeo plus Juliet, yeah, the Baz Luhrmann. (laughs) It makes me almost want to vomit saying it that way. Um, but again, because he took a Shakespearean story and elevated it, and I mean that's a bold thing to say, elevated it. But in the in the realm of cinema, yeah, added, um, music and added visuals that are so that have stuck in the modern. I, I mean visual mind, the landscape. I mean, those yeah. movies, I mean, it's in everyone's mind. Everyone loves that film. Yeah. You know, and I like that film. I don't think it's a particularly bad film just because it had heartthrobs in it and stuff and yeah. all that. It was a pop culture moment, but it, the film stands up, I think, especially as a creative force. So I see that as a definite, definite one. And then on like the other end of that spectrum. I'd have to say Lars von Trier's dancer in the dark. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. That's hmm. like a a dancer in the dark, because again, they use music. But it's exploring, this is, you yeah. know, stars Bjork. Yeah. If you haven't seen Dance in the Dark, see it. It is brutal. Yeah. Like, like all Lars von Trier films. Sure. And here's another guy, not to get off on any rant or anything, but this, this son of a bitch, <laughs> Lars von Trier. <laughs> this bastard. This bastard. Now, the thing is, is that this guy, I can't help but respect this guy. But mm. sometimes he irritates the piss out of me. Like, yeah. sometimes his experiments are so terrible that I'm like, this man is a charlatan. Mm. And then I will see other films that are so successful, like like Dogville or like um, Breaking the Waves or, you know, a lot of very, you know, Europa. And you can't deny this man is such a great artist, te- you know, teetering on genius. Yeah. And so I've never had such a bizarre experience with a filmmaker. Where like I either, I love him and hate him simultaneously. That's sure. that's a very rare experience, which means he's interesting me. He's provocative. And like sometimes in my worst moments, I try to write him off as just like a provocateur. You know, he's a provocative person. Yeah. Um, but I can't help but be intrigued by him. So Dance in the Dark is one of his great successes. And I think it's probably um it's an imperfect film. You know, it's not like a. It's not like Dogville, which is a stone-cold masterpiece, you right. know, or Breaking the Waves, stone-cold masterpiece. But but Dance from the Dark is imperfect and flawed. But the way that they use music to reach into the deeper, darker, kind of belfries of our lives, I think it has a lot in common with the net. And it's a kind of a film that I think, it, it wouldn't be surprising to me if they went to people and said, hey, it could be like Dance from the Dark to get some money. Sure. You know, as a point of reference. Because yeah. it has that, artistic quality, it has the surrealness of it, it has the boldness of it, it has the satire element, but then it uses music very profoundly. Yeah. And then the last one I'll mention is uh, Ingmar Bergman's The Magic Flute. Okay. So, Ingmar Bergman, very famous for being these dark, sad Swedish movies that are about life and death and, you know, mm-hmm. you know another thing. Be, I don't, like, don't want to think too much about this stuff, so I'm not going to watch it. But he made a, a comedy out of the Mozart farce, Magic Flute. And he brilliantly adapted it for cinema uh, in, in a way, because he worked a lot on stage as well. He was a great stage director, very prolific stage director, but he also did many, many films, of course. And then the connection with Sparks, who did the the radio play for Swedish radio called The Seduction of Igmar Bergman. They were big admirers of his work and revisited a lot of his films when they watched, rather than when they were writing their, their radio play and when you watch a magic flute uh it's a great way to experience the opera if you've never seen it if you never listened, if you don't like opera or whatever it is you've never just not familiar with it right. it's a great way in to the opera and it's so funny and it's so visual and it's so fantastic and i think that uh sparks were probably equally influenced by it as even someone like leo's Carx. they probably both could right. find common ground with uh, bergman's magic flute
0: yeah, it it must have been interesting. I mean, I'm sure there's some uh, you know interviews and stuff like that out there. It must have been an interesting collaborative process between these two, just so uh, two two uh, creative people. Well, three creative three people, creative people yeah, yeah. Who who really seem to know what they want out of out of what they're making. You know, they make mm-hmm. very specific, interesting things. To see those kinds of people collaborate must be an interesting process. I imagine. Oh,
1: I bet. I think there's probably no. I mean, I, I'm what I'm amazed is the success of a collaboration like this because yeah. it could so easily be a mess. Yeah, like the, one of my favorite Spark songs is uh, "I Thought I Told You to Stay in the Car." <laughs> now that's <laughs> and so if that doesn't put you like put it perfectly, what how, what how weird and funny these people are, and it's like yeah. operatic. It's like I told you to stay in the car. Like yeah. it's it's nuts. It's totally nuts. And. So again, you just have to kind of—it's like all good art. You have to submit, you know, and, and let your let it kind of envelop you. But yeah, to have these kind of creative people—that creativity sometimes can burn you down. You sure. know, I mean, you could be so passionate and so involved in it and stuff, and to collaborate with someone who's of your equal or or uh, different than you, but uh, but of an equal standing and you know in terms of an artist, that must be really challenging. Yeah. And to have a result, to have a net be so symbiotic. You know, yeah. like I said, it feels like if I didn't know anything about Sparks, which I hardly did when I saw it, but I knew just a little bit. Um, but let's say I missed the opening credits and I had no idea that they had written all the music or it was their kind of brainchild, it was their story. I would have been like, this is the perfect Leo Skariks film. It right. feels right. like him. And then the more I learn about Sparks, the more I go back and I think, God, well, this is a Sparks film. This is their movie. They yeah. got it, they did it. And the fact that they both, ex- they both
0: coexist is... Yeah, it feels feels like them too. Fascinating. Yeah.
1: It's really interesting. That's a, that's a feat in and of itself.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm going to go ahead and do the finished puzzle, and then we'll get into uh, some closing thoughts here on Annette. So the finished puzzle includes the saddest music in the world, Tommy, The Umbrellas of Sherberg, Vox Lux, Being John Malkovich, Anomalisa, Adaptation, Holy Motors... Bo Burnham, Stephen Wright, Brother Theodore, uh, Woman is a Woman, Eraserhead, Mulholland Drive, Repo the Genetic Opera, Romeo and Juliet, Romeo plus Juliet, that is. Uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dancer in the Dark and the Magic Flute. Uh, we got a, a lot of interesting, you know, obviously lots of musicals, but a lot of weird stuff, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to use that weird word. We have to use it throughout this, but. Um, yeah. Any closing thoughts here on Annette before we wrap it up?
1: Yeah. The only thing is, I've said it, you know, throughout this. Uh, but watch it again. Mm. You know, if you if you saw it once, I feel like it's an easy movie to dismiss. Yeah. But there's a lot in there. I was I was really emotionally affected by it. I thought it was a great. I, I mean, I, people throw this word around. I I said it a couple times even tonight, saying masterpiece. But it feels like it's something special. Mm-hmm. Like, it really does to me. And it's what's weird about that is that I could also see it being so easily written off. Yeah. It's not an undisputed masterwork where you walk out and you go, anyone that doesn't like that is nuts. You know right. what I mean? It's like, sometimes you see those movies at the Oscars where, like, I know it's Oscar bait, and I know that there's some small movie that didn't get a chance to even be nominated because it doesn't have enough money. Mm-hmm. But it's like, what comes to mind is like a, a King's Speech. Like, a King's Speech is like Oscar bait 101. Sure. But it's so damn good Mm -hmm. and when i watch it i'm like yeah this is the best picture yeah it's like i just it's undisputed you know how great it is and and annette is not like that i mean i could definitely see someone go no it wasn't for me but there's like a weird little masterpiece in there i really think that so give it another try or if this is gonna be your first time going and expect that it's weird and get over it you know there's a really great story that actually makes sense you're not going to be kind of grappling for things the way you are with other art movies. I think yeah. there's a strong spine in there, narratively, that will will bring you through. And enjoy the music, because yeah. it's really stuck in my head. I sing a different song every day.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. I want to hear you sing some more songs later. It's bad. Yeah. It's not good. I don't sing. <laughs> I gave you a little taste of my opera. Y- yeah, what? I like that. That yeah. was good. That was good. Uh, my only other thought that I just wanted to mention briefly, but um, Adam Driver, is there a more interesting actor right now? Nope.
1: And he's a freak giant. He's he, like... <laughs>
0: he's so... Yeah. So unique, but like making such great choices. I All mean, the time. Who would have thought like... First of all, that he didn't get swallowed up by being in Star Wars. Right. Like, but then on top of that to just, he's worked with so many of these like interesting directors, like the kind of directors that you just imagine that, you know, an actor that cares about acting would just kill (laughs) to work with, you know, and, and he's worked with practically everybody at this point and he just keeps making more interesting decisions like this. And he's really
1: brilliant in this. He is. I mean, he is, you can't take your eyes off of him. Yeah. He is excellent in this film. Yeah. Um. And yeah, you're right. I think, I can't think, I mean, I love, he's in everything. Yeah. He's there, He's, he'd worked with, with
0: Jarmish. Yep. Has he done the Coens yet? Yeah. He, he was a small part, but in uh, Inside Lewin Davis. That's right. He's yeah. in, yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: And then, he's I mean, he's great in it too. Yeah. He is. He is a <laughs> guy. Now I remember. Yeah. That's right. But he called, uh, he called, uh, he was interviewed at and He was, he called uh, Leo's card the the best film director working today. Wow. That's bold. That is bold, or especially with his resume. Yeah, you know, and then he had a pretty good kind of like award type performance with what's
0: his name with uh, Noah or right? Oh yeah, yeah I mean that was like story. that like kind of took over the whole conversation. That yeah. was a huge performance. But um, he was brilliant in Patterson. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah Patterson's great. Um, also Spike life. Lee, uh, oh, Black yeah. Yeah. Klansman. That's so right. yeah, yeah, I mean he's just working with everybody and just consistently putting out great work.
1: Yeah. So and this is one of them in my yeah, and him as a singer, shocking.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's able to do it.
1: He pulled it off. It's not like he's a brilliant singer, but, man, he really was able to do it. He had kind of a Lou Reed quality, kind of a talky, nasally thing going, which I'm all about. So I was like, all right, I'll come into it.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that does it for Annette. Uh, Chris, is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners?
1: So I would recommend No Sudden Move, Okay, if you guys hadn't seen it, I think it was a you know really interesting well done kind of an old school crime thriller, but really elegantly done. What it's nice about the, uh, the Soderberghs the of the world is that they just have this confidence at this stage in their career mm-hmm. and you just see everyone at the, like the top of their game, you know it's not a perfect film, but it's very interesting, it makes you think, and it's just like these great guys having fun they're having they're at the point in their career where they're not nervous, yeah. And so you feel that confidence in that film. And so No Sudden Move is the type of story where it allows a director to really flex their confidence muscle without being trying to overcompensate for insecurity. It's like he's a great director at this point, and we just feel that. So yeah. No Sudden Move is really good. All right. And uh, Bob and Star go to Vista Del Mar.
0: That was, uh, that was fun. Yeah.
1: <laughs> if you don't like that movie, don't talk to me. That yeah. is a fun movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, awesome. Chris, why don't you tell people what you got going on with the film?
1: Okay. Well, I got a bunch of stuff going on. So I am in, so of course, Bizarro e Fantastico was the film that I plugged here many, many times. And uh, it's technically not even released because of COVID really. All the festivals we wanted to hit got delayed or yeah. pushed back. So we really kind of went, took a couple steps back to get a running start for 2022. So we're going to be doing a really aggressive festival tour now that it's wrapped, totally done, it's finished. And uh, you still can see it now if you'd like. You could reach out to David or myself. You go to chriscranock.com and see a way to contact me and I can definitely give you the film early it's just a password protected at this point but it will be more aggressively out there next year uh i'm also in production of my next film called bipolaroid which mr david rosen is scoring which is mm-hmm. extremely exciting it's gonna be really good guys you'd have no idea so we're <laughs> making that right now uh we're actually in the process of making it literally right now in, mm-hmm. a way, in a way or just right before this event um and then of course there's a play that i wrote uh called the the imposter <laughs> Uh,
0: do you do you say it that way no. every time you're talking about no, I'm
1: it? That's just kidding. I really try to make people hate me. this is yeah. the, the goal this is really the ultimate goal. No, I'm like a net. you Either love me or hate me. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Um, no, so it's called the imposter. Mm. Uh, but it is in France. It's on. It's gonna. It's getting produced in Paris. And so you will not be able to see it stateside anytime soon, but hopefully you will leave this country and go to Paris to see it. Uh, hopefully it's going to be on stages 2022. But again, things are so wonky with, uh, yeah. with COVID. So we're in rehearsals. And so we'll see where that you know, leads us in 2022. And then there might be a version that's stateside uh, and elsewhere at some point. So check out the, the keep track of the imposter. Polaroids on its way. And uh, Bizarro will be hitting 2022
0: awesome well chris always awesome having you here on the show i am glad we're able to do it again and i look forward to hopefully getting you back again sometime
1: absolutely soon. thank you so much it's always a pleasure to be here and talk about this cool movie Years we've covered in past seasons include 1994, 2003, 1977, and 1984. And we've got all of film history to look forward to. So check us out
0: at awesomemovieyear.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Annette. Thanks to Chris Cranock for joining me on that one. And, uh, you know, as always, I want to remind you to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on all the major podcast apps. Wherever you're listening to this right now, you could probably subscribe to us. And if you're not subscribed, you should, because there's always new episodes coming. There's always older episodes that you maybe haven't checked out yet. And you should check them all out you should also rate and review us on Apple podcast or pod chaser or good pods or wherever you rate and review podcasts you could also follow us on social media at piecing pod and join our Facebook group popcorn and puzzle pieces and of course we really really appreciate it when you share this show if you like the conversation we're having if you like what the show is and how we do the whole puzzle pieces thing and all that share it get us in front of your friends get us in front of new listeners I just want to keep getting this thing out to as many new people as we can and I really appreciate it whenever you guys share the show so thank you so much uh, we also have a Patreon, the produced by David Rosen Patreon where I combine bonus and advanced content from piecing it together as well as Awesome Movie Year, another great movie podcast that I produce and from my music career and I got some music stuff coming I believe next week at the time of this posting uh, or it might be right after the wedding I told you about at the top of the show who knows what I'll have to <laughs> for this coming week uh, to get up there but definitely in the next week or two there's going to be some new music stuff uh hitting the patreon and we just uploaded a bonus episode of awesome movie year for the james bond movie you only live twice it's actually a uh, kind of between seasons bonus episode so check that out if you're a subscriber to the patreon or if you get subscribed uh you can then check that out then So let's close this thing out, speaking of music, with a piece of music. And I don't know, I was kind of just digging through my hard drive looking for something weird. I don't really have anything like the music that Sparks put out, but uh, this one's kind of weird. It's an unreleased track that uh, I think I might have had it on my Reverb Nation at one point back when that was a thing. It still is a thing. I just don't keep up with it anymore. Uh, But it never made it onto any of my albums. But maybe if I ever put out like a b-sides, bonus track compilation kind of thing, I would put it on there, because it is a pretty cool track, and it's nice and weird, so I thought it would be a nice one to include here on this Annette episode. It's called Crystal Moon, so enjoy this track, and uh, maybe check out that Reverb Nation. Some of my old demos are on there. You know what? Don't do that. Just go check out my real albums if you like my music. <laughs> Don't check out my Reverb Nation. I should probably take that down at some point. Eh, after the wedding, maybe. Anyway, This is Crystal Moon. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together coming up real soon.